Thomas, Thomas, that music can mean only one thing. We're back from Tasty Live, and we have Let Me Explain with Chris Vecchio. Before you come on, Chris, let me explain what Vecchio means to you in case you haven't been uh, enlightened. I'm sure you have, having had the name for many years. Vecchio means old in Italian. Yes, it does, uh, which is one of the funny things because people frequently ask me, oh, Ponte Vecchio, is that your bridge? So you can go, <laughs> no, not your bridge either, huh? It's just an old bridge. <laughs> just an old bridge, correct, Chris. Well, welcome to the show. I've got Tom with me, uh, which always makes it interesting. Um, great. I'm glad to see you guys. I watched that great documentary that you guys have up on the Tasty Live website right now, The Cancel Crash, the story of the 1987 crash. Uh, really fascinating to learn more about how you know programmatic trading and, and, and this portfolio insurance scheme, so to speak, back in the day, contributed to a major decline in stock market indices. Um, it, it was a great video. I highly recommend that everyone who's listening go check that out if they have the time or they're interested in more about financial history. It's an oldie but goodie. I, I, yeah, I think we well did. Done. I think we did that almost ten years ago. Yeah, it, it's a well done documentary, though. You yeah, you should. Job. Have you seen the other documentaries we've done? I'm starting making my way through the old Tasty Trade library, so I'm, I'm getting around to it. Okay, there's a couple of good ones. Um, uh, the Louis Borsellino story is great. I think you'll like that. Um, and. Uh, like you said, there's cancel crash. And then I think we also did one called Splash, which is the making thinkerson, which is pretty good. Mm -hmm. And um, we also did a tasty one. Yep. Yep. Well, what I found fascinating about watching that video to kind of dovetail on what we want to talk about here today is how the Federal Reserve was really powerless to stop any of the systematic trading from crashing the market initially, right? They put out a statement. You guys come back from Vegas. It's Monday night. Uh, the Federal Reserve is talking to us, and the markets then continue to crash on Tuesday. And it, it, it just goes to show perhaps how sometimes the Fed isn't as important as people think it is. It, just for example, this morning, Fed Chair Powell had a speech at the Riksbank Summit over in Sweden, and everyone was anticipating this to be a big event. You know, what would Powell say? There's been a loosening of financial conditions. Markets have been rallying. Bond yields are, are going down. Right, The dollar's coming up. Powell's not going to like this. Instead, he devoted his entire speech to basically telling people how they're not going to interfere on climate change. That's not their, uh, you know, mandate, and and the Fed needs to stay politically independent. So don't bother them. Uh, markets get a little bit of bid here, though, after the nothing burger that was Fed Chair Powell's speech. It's almost starting to seem like the Fed is becoming less and less important. And if only to express that in terms of data points, uh, Ilya Spivak of Macro Money pointed out that there's a tracker for how many times Powell appears in the news headlines as aggregated by Bloomberg recently. He's been appearing less and less in news stories over the past three months, so maybe the market is getting tired of and starting to ignore the Fed altogether. Um, so on this network, we have been very, um, uh, for the last 12 years, we don't believe the Fed plays any role in, uh, I mean, and I'm not saying this just to like play devil's advocate or just uh, like to get you all fired up, but um, the Fed plays catch up to actually bond prices, but I don't believe that they initiate, you know, bond prices, meaning I don't believe that they actually move that market. I believe they think they do, but I think that they, they're more reactive than they are proactive. And if the Fed was proactive, I don't think we would have any of the issues that we have today because they would have recognized that at some point we needed to address, you know, I mean, 
realistically. We needed to address the fact that we were driving rates down to below zero. And they could have headed this all off the past if they had been, you know, proactive as opposed to being reactive. So I think it's just a fundamental thing. Like, like I don't know of a single trader in the world, like that active trader, that even watches the Fed. I, I know it's going to sound crazy, Chris, but I think that's that's how I've always felt. Like, I just don't get it. Like, you know, I mean, maybe if you're a bond trader, you might look at some because you want to know what's going on. But I just don't I don't I don't think it matters. I think if you're an active trader, you pay less attention to the data and less attention to some of these policy speakers than perhaps individuals that have six, 12 months plus long, uh, uh, you know, time horizons for their trading and investments. And then really, you're not really actually trading. You're just a longer term investor at that standpoint. Uh, but what I do find what's interesting here is there's a lot of financial narrative around how much the Fed matters in this market. And I completely agree, right? The Fed was late on raising rates to combat inflation. And on the way down, they're probably going to be holding rates too high. And so what signal can you take from that as an active trader? Nothing, really, because all you know is that the Fed's going to be behind the game whatever direction we're heading. Um, I do think that this Thursday report has a chance to be a game changer, because I was looking at a, a study yesterday ahead of Futures Power Hour. Basically, you could accumulate 95, you could attribute 90 95% of the market's losses in 22 uh, to just a handful of trading days last year, right? And, and two of those trading days came around CPI releases. Of course, there were CPI days where the market rallied very strongly, and you don't necessarily want to avoid days like that because that means you're also cutting off the tails that provide you upside uh, potential to your trading portfolio. But um, the market has had this tendency over the past six months to move about 3% on days where we have CPI releases. So uh, it just goes to show the importance that if you are an active trader right now in this market, you do have this big event risk coming up. If you're trading short-term options, you could get really hurt here this Thursday. You don't want to necessarily be holding something that's expiring on Friday. Uh, there could be not just data decay, of course, but when the premium is sucked out of the market after CPI, uh, even if you're right on the directional call, your option position may just lose value altogether. So um, it just speaks to the tasty method where you probably want to look at, say, like a 45 DTE uh, and think about rolling it up, maybe avoid this Thursday's event risk altogether because the market has had outside moves whenever we've seen CPI. Hour, at least at least going back to the middle of last year yeah so that's the more interesting story is that the market has had outsized moves in a year where the market had a lot of outsized moves like when you look back at 2022 um we had outsized moves the whole year it was the year of the outsized move you know at this point you're getting a very different i think you're getting a very different read from the volatility indexes specifically skew and vbix just volatility on volatility which is suggesting that that those outside moves that was last year i mean they're just suggesting it and i also think that they're um, the short-term pricing in like i don't like trading those the two dayers just because i don't think you have any control over that position not because but we have i mean we've made some plays yeah yeah not but but the, but it's not because i think you have too much risk even though last year you did have too much risk you know on some of the two days the year before you didn't it just depends but i don't think i don't like trading those but not because i don't think they're priced fairly it's because i don't know how you adjust those positions you know 
in on the first move. Like, like you know, it's very difficult when— But we've when, done some research in his defense. We've done some research that shows we've had a reversal in direction 24 to 40— That's fine. But if you put a position on playing yes. for something that's happening at 7.30 no. on Thursday morning, and the markets don't no, open until 8.30, shoot. I think it's, it's, it's a pure crapshoot. Yes. And there's not a lot you can do in that down hour when you're going to get a massive move except right. except negative scalp futures against it. Right. <laughs> there's You can't positive scalp because you can't get out if you're right. And if you're wrong, you have to— you, you, that's the hardest part. Like, if you if you have a position on, on, you're taking a weekly position that's expiring on Friday, and you're, or even a daily position that's expiring on Thursday, because you can do all that now. Mm -hmm. The problem is when the markets open an hour later than, than um, when the options open an hour later than the number comes out, if you do futures against it, which is a clean hedge, how do you take off the hedge? This has always been the age-old problem. So, like, you know, you have a position on, and then the hedge is going your way. Well, you don't know if you should take it off when it goes 10, 20, 30, 40 points your way, or because if you take it off when it goes 30 points your way, what if it goes 100 points additional on top of that? And the other side to it is when you have profits on it, you know, that, that's when you have profits on it. When you have losses on it, you're going to stop yourself out at some number. Then you don't know if it's going to reverse against you. So the hedge I, the hedge I hate, that hedge I hate. So that is what makes that one and two day option so difficult to trade. I think that's the argument for the 45-day position because at least you can adjust it. At least you got a it's little more, more room. Strategic than yeah, it it's is more strategic. Yeah, it's more strategic. Yeah. So I think I think that's the play. I mean, I mean, if you want to play the number, that's all. I, I typically try to avoid trading around event risk right because it is basically just a crapshoot. Like you said, to me, it's more of a. I hate say this term, gamble, right? It's not an informed position. It's not an informed trade that you can replicate over time. You're, you're just rolling the dice and hoping that you, you know, punch a lottery ticket at that point in time. So for me, uh, while I pay attention to the number, I'm not personally taking out any trades around it. Um, I do think, though, this is an interesting market setup right now where bond yields are coming down. Prices have been on fire here to start the year. TLT is up over 6% at the start of 2023 and of course it's setting the stage for what could be a nice rally in both gold and equity markets so for me um, when i look at the calendar when i plot out how i think the markets will respond over the next few weeks i really see a lot of free airspace ahead of us right now what's going to happen between now and the end of the month when the fed meets nothing effectively we got all the big boogeymen out of the way at this point in time inflation's the last hurdle uh, i think people could be surprised where you have a low volatility environment persist the next few weeks and you know maybe this means you're selling or, or, or buying depending upon your perspective you know calendar call spreads and something like gold or silver uh, maybe even zb um, but i do think there is a, a chance here for premiums uh, to while they're elevated right now in some cases um, to, to collect those and, quite frankly, to cash in on what could be a pretty easy market environment post-CPI on Thursday. And that's kind of how I'm thinking, how to play the next few weeks rather than the specific event here Thursday morning. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so the S&Ps are down eight, by the way. I know. <laughs> From up 12 to down eight mm -hmm. in like two ticks. Mm -hmm. It's kind of nuts. Um, all right, what else do you see, Chris, that you like here for this week? Because it's kind of been, uh, um, you know, we're all over the place so what far today. What do you think today. of this action? We've had a 120-point rally in the E-mini S&Ps, a little bit more over the last two days. And uh, now you've got basically an unchanged market. Which way are you placing your bets? 
I'm directionally bullish right now, quite frankly. I, I think this is a market that had been coiling for the past two weeks. We finally got some upside momentum here. Uh, not a surprise that the first week of the year was sideways. You get new participation coming back and liquidity arrives. It's generally a period of distribution. Um, so now that we're breaking out to the upside and bond yields are behaving in the way that they are, I do think if you told me which way the next 400 points in the market, I would think that they're up, quite frankly. Um, and so for me, if we do find a rally in the S&Ps up to say like, you know, 40, 50 or 4,100, uh, at that point in time, I'd become a little bit more tactically bearish just to take some cream off the table. I think that the first part of this year is going to be very, very choppy. There's going to be a lot of false starts in both directions. Is the economy in recession? What's the Fed going to do? There's a lot of conflating narratives out there that as short-term traders, as active traders, you don't necessarily care about, but I, I don't think you can count on momentum having any significance here, um, at least at the start of 2023. Is there... Is there really a better trading market than a momentumless like range bound choppy market it's the greatest thing in the world for traders as premium sellers too and as even, premium even sellers buy the dippers even sell the rallies you, you know it's the best of of all worlds sure. by the dipper um the but but i love range bound markets we have not had a range bound market in what feels like um, let's see. In forever. Have we, have we really? I, I don't feel we've had a range bound market in what feels like since what, 2019, maybe? I don't even remember now. I'm kind of confused. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't think we've had a range bound market for at least three years. And I kind of feel like that is the story. I think you just nailed it. I think we're going to see a choppy range bound market for the next couple of, um, or at least for this year. And that's how that's where all our predictions are, by the way. And that's kind of where I think you're going to you're going to see a lot of this stuff just kind of, you know, land. Mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't know what else it could be. I, mean, I think not, that's the pain trade right now, right? Because everyone was expecting, you know, 5,000 S&P at the start of last year. The market crashes. It goes to the point of maximum pain for uh, market observers, of course. Uh, this year, everyone's saying a recession is coming, so everyone's expecting a bigger crash. I mean, what would be more frustrating than no recovery whatsoever, no crash whatsoever? Instead, you just get sideways distribution. And, uh, Tony, I think that's a great point you're bringing up. If, if we are in a range-bound market, this is a great opportunity for premium sellers because the volatility isn't low, per se. I know VIX is trading right around 23 right now but when you think about low volatility over recent years that's a VIX that's like at 17 18 19 this is not exactly low it's not exactly high but there's still a lot of opportunity here baked into the market especially in the bond market i feel because when you look at the move index which is a measure of treasury volatility that's still very historically elevated so you know if, you, if you're selling puts right now and say zb or ztzn you get a directional move to the upside i think bonds actually have a greater chance of momentum uh, than stock prices do that's why coming into this year uh, i personally have a bullish outlook on bonds we've talked about this previously in the yeah. segment and it's something that we posted on the tasty live traders blog go check out the 2023 bond market outlook yeah plus we we kind of felt when bonds got I, I felt the bonds were the best play on the board and i never ever say that when they got under 120 but now at like you know what where are they right now 128 29 129 or something i kind of feel like they're they're gonna hover around this 130 level like you might see 135 you're definitely gonna see 125 again i don't think the bonds are going anywhere but I think this is the year where as long as the juice right now, the juice is pretty high in them. As long as that juice stays high, you got to be like, I'm sure my biggest two 
short premium positions are bonds and notes. Yeah, but I think you have to play bonds ZB and not TLT. Like TLT is a TLT sucks. Yeah. You got to play ZB. Well, that's one way of putting it. Yes. You got to play ZB and <laughs> you got to play ZB and ZN. Yeah, that's what I'm, TLT that's, is like pulling teeth. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's painful to make the adjustments yeah. there because every adjustment in TLT, you got to give up like four cents, five and cents, it's, and you collected 30, 40 cents in credit. It's nothing. And if you make an adjustment in the bonds, you're collecting a three, four hundred bucks. And you're giving yeah. up, and you're giving yeah. up literally sixteen, yeah, you know, sixteen bucks. Yep. So yep. it's amazing the difference. Yep. Um, uh, what was I going to tell you? Um, yeah, nice little rally while we're sitting here talking, Chris. It's funny, but uh, the S and P's have gone from. You called uh, it. Uh, well, it's funny. At one point, it. when you started talking, they were the Nasdaq was down forty. Now the Nasdaq's up thirty. We've had like a seventy to eighty candle rally just while we're, you know, sitting here chatting. Mm -hmm. um, from from my perspective, looking at the first two weeks of the year, um, uh, I don't think was this the first two? yeah first two weeks. This is uncharted territory for you too. But go ahead. I don't think you could, from a trader perspective, I don't think you've had less, like this is the first year. Remember last year we opened at the highs and just crashed basically. And the year before, and the year before- After we, a year of continuing rally. Yeah, and at the year too, before right? we- So you saw we, the first downtick, you were like- Yeah, the year before we rallied up and then got killed. I mean, there's there, there've been all these gigantic moves in January. And I don't think between now and January expiration, which is when all these leaps and everything come off, I don't think you're gonna see much. I think you're going to see chop. And you also got earnings starting up. I think you're going to see constant chop. I don't think the Fed's going to play a role. I think the PPI may be something this week. But I think you're going to see a constant chop. I think that's great for trading. Yeah, for earnings, you have banks this week. I think non, non, not too big of yeah. I still, It's great for trading. Mm -hmm. I'll just leave it there. Following week, you have some, some earnings coming up. Yeah. So last, last thing, Chris, before we let you go. Uh, the earnings cycle coming up. Anything that interests you? I mean, we have made a commitment to trade smaller on earnings this year because it would, that was the biggest One outlier to, to the, the whole biggest problem spot for us in 2022 were bad earnings trades. That was the biggest problem, mostly Netflix, but some Facebook. Um, I mean, Meta, Meta, Netflix was the worst, but Meta and Target, there were a few of them. Um, those were our biggest outlier moves in 2022. I don't think you're going to see the same outliers in 2023, but we're going to trade earnings smaller. What do you think about earnings this year? Uh, you know, earnings for me, it's just very much like trading an economic data release, like a CPI or non-farm payrolls, devoid of some edge that you think you have uh, to make a directional bet. It's very difficult to do that successfully. Listen, I've had some luck over the years. I, I joked at uh, my engagement party that some calls I had, some out-of-the-money calls I had on Gilead stock in 2014, and them curing hepatitis C helped pay for my engagement ring, right? And helped pay for the wedding. Um, I've gotten lucky and unlucky on things like in Nike and, and, and Target over the years. But to me, it's always felt like why was I taking those trades? Was because I had a feeling about which way the earnings were actually going to be released. Did I have any insight into the numbers? Did I have some crystal ball that I could look to and say the market's wrong about this? No, I mean, it was basically pure intuition. And in hindsight, it was just what can I do that's cheap and try to get some excitement going on. And that's not really a sustainable way of building success. So for me, I avoid earnings like I avoid trading around releases because you can see that volatility sucked out of the market. Maybe if you're selling premium around them, it makes a lot of sense. But even then, you know, there's just, I think there's better 
better setups in the market right now than looking to just roll the dice around earnings. If I am watching earnings as an indicator, however, right, this is, I think, the important part of, of the discussion. I, I'm looking at what's happening in the consumer sector, right? Not just discretionary, but staples as well. You've had a really significant number of disappointments from companies like Walmart, Target, and Amazon over the last year, which are reflecting the state of the economy. People just aren't buying as much stuff. And the market seems to be having a very strong reaction function to those earnings releases. Where are inventory sitting right now? If you have higher inventory bills, that means people aren't buying stuff and therefore future production will be down and that means weaker economic growth in the future. So um, I'm more of looking at it from the economic standpoint because that helps inform my view about the Fed, which perhaps doesn't necessarily matter over the next few months. Um, I happen to think that they will, having a six plus month long time horizon for a lot of the things that I do. Uh, but I, I do think watching the earnings for the story that's unfolding about the US economy, that's it for me. I'm just not trading around earnings. I've, I've been lucky, I'm lucky, and I don't find myself having a statistical edge in the arena. He's Chris Vecchio. That's good stuff, Chris. Thanks so much. We're going to take a quick 90-second break and come back. We've got more T-Street coming at you with uh, a market measure. Next is Tasty Live. The content of this podcast is provided solely by Tasty Trade Inc. and are not the direct views or opinions of any of its affiliate companies. This content is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a research report, trading or investment advice, or a recommendation that any investment strategy, security, or futures product is suitable for any person. You are responsible for making your own investment decisions in light of your individual investment knowledge, objectives, and financial situation. Applicable supporting documentation for any claims, including claims made on behalf of options programs, comparison, recommendations, statistics, or other technical data will be supplied upon request. Tasty Trade Inc. is not a licensed financial advisor, registered investment advisor, or registered broker-dealer.